I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are we today, Matt? Uh, better than the guy in Assassin's Creed Valhalla I met who had an axe literally <laughs> sticking out of his head, and he's like, does it look bad? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it looks bad, dude. Maybe, maybe just a little bit there, good sir. You know, <laughs> it feels like an itch or something. Oh, dude, that's not a, that's that's not an itch. No, no, that's an axe in your head. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to scratch some itches out there for the people in the Lore Watch community who have asked us many questions uh, about various bits and, and bobs as far as the uh, things go in the World of Warcraft as far as other games. I don't, although I think most of the stuff lately has been very heavily centered on World of Warcraft because, well, we have a new expansion coming out. Uh, if you have questions for this podcast or the other podcast or the queue, uh, make sure you get them in. We do have uh, several Discord channels set aside for that. We do try to give our patrons a little bit of a, uh, a leg up by having a Patreon supporter queue and podcast questions channel, but we do have a regular one as well. Uh, if Discord isn't your thing, you can go ahead and send them in to us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com, where Matt and I will then fight over them uh, to see which podcast gets the glorious... Uh, uh, glorious question answering rights for your question. Uh, and occasionally I will also scour Twitter, uh, which actually our first one comes from today. Uh, and this is one from uh, a name that some of you may remember. This is from Adam Holisky. Uh Does the presence of Shadowlands make the Azeroth universe deterministic? Is free will but an orchestrated delusion that is dictated by the Jailer? This is a legitimate question from from Adam. No, I know. It's just it's also him trying to push his Derrida um, philosophy junk on me. And I'll say it to you again, as I've said it a hundred times, he's a clown, Adam. Uh, but to, to get to the thing, first off, the jailer's not in charge of it. The jailer's the one attempting to break free from it. Mm -hmm. So if anything, he's the one struggling. He's your Derrida hero. It, you know, so you should go join the jailer and, and be evil because that's what 
you know, rebels against the status quo would do. Oh, man. Adam and I used to have such fights about that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, to use a more Foucaultian perspective, since the, the apparatus is imprisoning the jailer as much as it's imprisoning everybody else, and the jailer's entire thing seems to be about trying to break free from what's been ordained for him, whether it's been imposed by the first ones or from somebody else. No, uh, it's definitely not a deterministic take uh, where the jailer dictates it. Absolutely not. He's the one, he's he's like the first guy to get stuck and it's his thrashing around that's messing it up for everybody else. If you want to take that perspective, which I do not subscribe to, but if you were going to take that perspective, the jailer would be just as much a prisoner else. Yeah. Now, although this is at the heart of it, this is a question that I think I've been asked a couple times recently on Twitter or in uh, some private discussions where it's the idea of the mechanism of death to sort of expand upon it and go a little bit sideways from what Adam uh, asked here. But it's if the mechanism of death, it being the system that was put in place, usurps the natural order and by doing so makes it into a uh, a relatively uh, free will less system right like so people have been asking whether or not it's something that no matter what you do you're going to go to one of these realms and you're going to be harvested does that actually matter um but we don't know that everybody goes to these realms in fact we don't know the extent of the realms to begin with either like we don't know how many realms they are we, I, we have talked about this before where when you're sitting in Oribos, you look up you see thousands of doors there could be thousands of shadowlands there could be thousands of afterlives uh that you could yeah you could possibly participate in uh and there are things that have happened in canonical lore that we don't know what the end result was like uh, i think it was what brinbrad was his name uh, yeah, Crusader Brain Man. Yeah, so like he was picked up by the Naru and taken by the Light. Where does that go? Because there's nothing in Bastion about that. They don't see Naru over there yet. We know the Light's there. We know the Light can touch things in the Shadowlands, but is there a special uh, Shadowlands for just the Light? Uh, did that particular process circumvent whatever the normal process would have been when he was selected and, and taken out of it? The, the All that to say... We don't know. We don't know enough about how things have been set up. Uh, and I think it was last week that Matt brought up the, this wonderful point. Uh, it might have been the week before where we don't know enough about the first ones and how things were sort of set up. And if them doing so, if them setting up and ordering the Shadowlands as they've done uh, or as we've told they've done, actually circumvents the natural order of the cosmos in some way so we don't know i have a feeling that that existential crisis and and sort of line of thinking will become a very common theme throughout this expansion as we learn more about the first ones as we learn more about the jailer as we learn more about what actually happens or what's supposed to happen versus what's been shoehorned in place uh but it it's an interesting thing, although I will say that uh, I don't think anything circumvents the free will of, of you while you are alive. So not really sure. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to get in the same fights that uh, or arguments that uh, you had with uh, with Rossi there, Adam. But I I'm not exactly sure that I, I buy into the whole deterministic society or or or, or you know, I think there's thing. definitely a case to be made for an attempt at a deterministic. Yeah. Uh, worldview here, because you've got the, the arbiter just deciding you know, I know better than anything where you belong and just putting you there. I mean, and then you just either you accept it or you get stuck in the mall eventually. So 
Yeah, there, there's an element of that, certainly. But I think the entire premise of this expansion is one of both... I mean, both Sylvanas and the Jailer, in their own ways, are rebelling against the, the quote-unquote order of things. And that order is falling apart. We see it as we go through the various zones in the Shadowlands. The, the order has been disrupted, and oddly enough, it's really it, it kind of harkens back to an old, old quest in uh, Vanilla mm-hmm. called Order Must Be Restored. And ironically, in that quest, you killed Nathanos Maris to restore order because Nathanos was disrupting the order of things. Uh, I mean, it, it was a very jaundiced viewpoint. And we're going to talk about Nathanos more, I believe, right? There's a question with him? Uh, there are at least one more coming up with Nathanos yeah. in it. So I, I'll reserve my statements for that. But I definitely think it's interesting to see how Shadowlands takes that concept of life, death, and the order of things and the ordering of things and how it's it presents ways of disrupting it, ways it has been disrupted, ways people want to disrupt it. So I think that's pretty. Our next question comes from Snowbeard. Question for Lorewatch: What actually is what is? Wow, I can't talk today. Sorry, folks. What's actually happening when we corpse run, and how, if at all, does it relate to the Shadowlands? And is it just a known concept that our characters never really die? Like, does someone in the group look at a dead party member and think, "Oh, it's okay, she'll be back"? And how come we get to corpse run, but main characters like Garrosh get sent to the Shadowlands? I realize there may not be a good lore reason, and this is simply just a game mechanic that we need to look past. Thanks for everything you guys do. There is a lore reason, actually, and it's pretty interesting. Um part of Shadowlands is all about why your character doesn't stay dead. That there's a whole there's this underlying storyline that involves what's going on there, why you keep getting like think of it the way to think of it is normally when someone dies, they go into the Shadowlands, uh, they're found by one of the Kyrian and they're sort of shepherded to the to the arbiter to be sent to their proper afterlife. The spirit healer you keep running into is a it's like a Kyrian that is not it's sort of like sliding you back over instead of letting you come fully through to be taken to the Arbiter. When you die, you're kind of bouncing off death. Think of it like a spacecraft that's trying to enter an atmosphere, but it's trying to go in too directly. It will burn up. If it tries to go in at an angle, it can bounce off the atmosphere. That's what we're doing with the Shadowlands. And that spirit healer has been very deliberately helping you. Very deliberate because you have a destiny. Yeah, what and is it? What is that, it they say that? that well, go ahead. You, what you were saying? I was gonna say, what is it that they said? It was like spirit healers are are Kyrian watchers that if a soul's not ready, they return them to life. I think that was like the old statement of it or something like that. It was back when when we, that's two BlizzCons ago. Well, not yeah. two BlizzCons, but the BlizzCon that we that we had in 2019. Uh, yeah, that that was something like that was said. So it's and and there's more to it. Like as you go through the various zones, it, it gets touched upon again, but not going to spoil too much for you i'll just say that that is definitely part of the story as for generally speaking people don't do that like if you read there's a story a few years back during cataclysm that starred anduin and varian rin and anduin when he healed varian dies in the story and anduin heals him and they don't know if anduin actually brought him back from death or not like they're they're very i don't know how you know maybe he was just mostly dead that they're it's it's a very hard call. Like people, when a healer like res- heals somebody, when you, technically when you resurrect somebody, it doesn't necessarily turn out to be resurrection. Now, if you did the uh, the Blood Knight starting zone, like uh, not Blood Knight starting zone, the uh, if you were a Blood Elf and you played a, a Blood Knight, a, a Paladin, originally there was a quest where you took light from the Naru and you went out and found a dead Paladin and you raised him with it. 
And in that case, everybody knew that was a resurrection spell. Everybody knew you brought that guy back from the dead. So there's lore in the game and in the world for both. Yeah, and it's I find it kind of funny because, like, didn't we just have this with Legion with the whole Illidan thing and the whole, like, immortal soul and all that other stuff? Immortal demon soul. Immortal demon soul. Immortal demon soul. Uh, But, like, it's this interesting concept of, like, and I've been thinking about it. If you have a destiny, if that is sort of like what's going on here, Illidan had a destiny. He wasn't allowed to die. Uh, maybe that plays more into it than actually having a quote-unquote immortal soul. Uh, nope, it's a mortal demon soul. Not buying this. <laughs> Dude, he said it to me in a thing when I was playing my demon. Yes, because he's, he's, he's 100%, 100% fully trustworthy. Like, yes, he totally I- is. He's Illidan, my guy. He's my boo. You be quiet now. I- Illidan, Illidan please trust me, Bay Storm Rage, of course. Um, but no, it, it's, it's this interesting concept of like, are we, is it because we have a destiny or is there something else going on? And like Matt pointed out, we're going to be learning more about that as we progress through Shadowlands. There's a whole, that that is one of the central points of the expansion coming up is why don't we actually die like why why can we corpse run why can we go back and it's interesting to see how it evolves because back when this question was asked i want to say like 2008 uh there was a a wonderful blizzcon question that got asked by a certain now lore focused folk uh that asked you know that this very question why can't we die why why are we special uh why are other people you know why do npcs die but we can't why what's the deal with that i also think there's there is something to be said for circumstances like it seems to be a lot of times that when you come back from the dead there's a little bit of wiggle room whereas people who get obliterated into like you know chunks or dust like varian didn't come back the second time Mm -hmm. you know when he got literally blown up with fell power i don't even know what happened to his soul it's quite possible it was destroyed yeah we we have no clue because we haven't seen him and so yeah i do think there's a little bit of wiggle room but but there's lore for both possibilities there's lore for People know that resurrection magic exists and works, and there's lore for maybe he was dead, maybe I just got him before he died. So, yep. I mean, and we'll find again, we will find out more. And, and I think they're like Matt's said, there's a little bit of wiggle room so they can decide how that sort of works out if they really, really need to. Our next question comes from Rhineblade. Question for Lorewatch How do we make sense of Sylvanas' interaction with Balnazar, Deathrock, and Veramothris, assuming enemy infiltration is written by a dreadlord, meaning all of them are agents of death after all? Do you know what deep cover is? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not being sarcastic here. Uh, a deep cover operative is somebody who is so deeply inserted into an, another group's hierarchy that they they function as if they are a member of that hierarchy, sometimes going months or years without breaking cover. Or lifetimes, um, yeah. If you've seen, seen the TV show The Americans, that kind of thing is what I'm talking about, where they're Soviet agents, but they look and act like Americans to the point where their, their day-to-day life is completely the same as anyone around them. Uh, if enemy infiltration was written by a dreadlord, and if we take it, therefore, that the dreadlords secretly work for um, Sire Deathrock, not Deathrock, uh, Death- what is his name? Denathrius. Deathrock. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, but if if we take those two things as a facts, then they wouldn't break cover for somebody who is not currently in the service of the jailer. When they meet Sylvanas, she's working for Arthas. 
who is working for the Lich King, who is not currently serving either the Legion or the Jailer, as far as they can tell. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason that they would break cover. And that was years ago. So now keep in mind that even if we assume that, that they were working for the, you know, Denathrius and thus the Jailer back then, if anything, she was a threat to them. She wasn't on board. In fact, the entirety of the past several years may have been turning Sylvanas into a weapon for the Jailer to neutralize the threat she posed. If you think about it, that's actually entirely possible. They used her to help them get rid of the, de the Lich King, and once the Lich King was out of the way and wasn't a threat anymore, and the new Lich King didn't know what was going on, they could then subvert Sylvanas. And, it, and I say they, I don't mean the, the Dreadlords, I literally mean the Jailer and Denathrius and the others who work for him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's no... There's no reason they would have said or done anything differently than they did. They were in deep cover. They were in the Legion. They were doing the Legion's bidding because they didn't want to be seen doing anything else. Now, the last thing they needed... I mean, keep in mind, too, the whole reason that the Lich King even existed might have been the Dreadlords. Because we don't know where Kil'jaeden got that helm and sword and armor from. We just know that the Dreadlords seem to be involved in it. So there's a lot to this, but I definitely think you can't, you can't just assume just because... You know, they're all on the same side now, possibly, and we don't even know that that's true. We don't actually know that the Dreadlords are working for Denathrius. We have one thing that, that seems to point that way. That doesn't mean it's the case. It's not canon yet. Uh, but even if that was true, that they were secretly working for uh, the, the Jailer all this time, Sylvanas wasn't. Yeah, Sylvanas and, didn't I mean, even know he existed. Yeah, and I mean, even it, we're, we're also making the assumption, I guess, in some of the stuff that that started happening, what, like, Wrath of the Lich King, end of Wrath of the Lich King, that people are like, oh, she very clearly, you know, saw the Jailer and made a deal then. We we don't know that. We don't know when the deal was made. Like, I, I've, po uh, I've put forward the idea that the deal wasn't made then. The deal was made after she was shown nothing but despair, darkness, and emptiness awaiting her. Like, it's all this, I think it's all been a long game to get her maneuvered into a position where, like Matt said, she becomes a weapon for them as opposed to against them. Uh, there's also the possibility that I, I don't want to, like, interrupt Joe here because it's me. Uh, there's also the possibility that Solanus is playing her own game at the same time. Absolutely. Because she is, she is entirely, she is very very good at playing the long game as well. And it's also something that we don't know what she has gleaned from her interactions with these three uh, over the years. We don't know uh, where she really is standing. She's doing things already that we know that they were not anticipating, uh, such as instead of using the power of the Helm of Domination to shattering the Helm of Domination, uh, which... It seems to be pretty heavily hinted at that it was not the original intent for anyone for her to do that. Uh, it is entirely possible that she's running on her own and, and doing her own things under the guise, again, of deep cover, like Matt just explained, but going the opposite direction. Um, not saying that it makes any of her actions right. I'm not trying to be a Solanus apologist or anything like that. Uh, but it's it's something to bear in mind that there may be more going on than we realize. Uh, but if you look at her past interactions with, you know, any of the Dreadlords, it all seems like it's been subtle pushes and, and, and redirection to get her where she needed to be. And that seems to be exactly what they do. Anytime we've seen a Dreadlord ingrained in any of the societies or, or organizations or anything on Azeroth, what are they doing? 
they are subtly pushing those groups, those people, those individuals towards a different thing. Uh, I mean, look at the Scarlet Crusade. Look at look at all of everything that's happened with with all that. It started as such a noble thing, and then it all of a sudden a dreadlord gets in, and next thing you know, they're even more fanatical than they were before, and it gets worse and worse and worse with just these some simple, light little nudges in that direction. That's what dreadlords do. They're not overt. They play long games. They have eons of plans and subtle game, subtle moves on the table, right? So, again, they could have been trying to maneuver her. She could have figured that out. She's not dumb. Uh, she could be swinging back in her own way, playing that game just as well. But who knows? Uh, and again, like Matt said, we only have that one piece of evidence from Shadowlands right now that links... Uh, the Nathrazine to being agents of death under Sire Denathrius, it is possible that that is that is the truth of it. It's also that possible that that's another misdirect as well. We there's a lot we don't know about, and we haven't even scratched the surface in Shadowlands of how the Dreadlords fit into that. We just know that at one point in time they were in the Shadowlands. All right. Our next question comes from a rather large uh, radioactive lizard, Godzilla. Uh, not to be a Nathanos apologist, but when Lothamar called Nathanos Maris a bully and braggart in life, it didn't sit completely right with me and almost came off as hypocritical. Yes, Nathanos was a grumpy and not very pleasant person in life, but it's not like the High Elves seemed to treat him with any form of dignity or respect during his time with them. I'm sure Nathanos didn't do himself any favors during his time in Silvermoon with his infamous sunny disposition, but at the same time, it feels like Lothamar, Haldoran, and the others were op uh, openly questioned his placement amongst them, despite Nathanos' apparent skill. We've all tried to succeed in environments that were cold and unwelcoming, so I'm not going to fault living Nathanos for being a sour guy. Forsaken Nathanos? Well, that's a whole other story. Uh, Anywho, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think Lothamar was having a moment of the pot calling the kettle black against the old comrade rival he torment? Or has the actions his unlife as the blight blight collar wiped any sympathies for the ranger formerly known as Nathanos Maris? Regardless, I'm sure the Maris stead was only a setback. I mean, I'll be up front here. I don't mind seeing Nathanos get chopped up into small pieces and those pieces, pieces scattered somewhere so that even if he does go to the mall, he can't come back. Like, I got no problem with the Thanos dying arm. But that being said, you're right that Lorthamar and the other members of that of the uh the Farstriders were gigantic colossal throbbing members to Nathanos at every single opportunity. And it was purely out of jealousy. And not even jealousy out of the fact that he was hooking up with Sylvanas. Before that, they were jealous of him because he was a better shot than them. like it or not, Nathanos Myris is probably the third or fourth best archer in Azeroth. Yep. It put Taronda um, Chandris, uh, no, Taranda, Sylvanas, then Chandris, because Chandris is the best. Chandris is better than Sylvanas, who's better than it. But th those three are probably it in terms of being better than Nathanos. And it's it's a it's telling that Taranda shot him before they got into the fight. Oh, although, yeah. hold on a second, I don't know if you saw the tweet about that, but uh, apparently the uh, the team noted that her absence of a bow in that uh, thing. The question was asked if she just threw the arrow at him, and their only response was yeet. Well, you know, either way, uh, it, it's it's telling that she did. The, it was an arrow she used to defeat him. But it's still absolutely fair to say that Lorthamar was always jealous of Nathanos. 
and living the Thanos had done nothing to really deserve it other than be a bit of a tool, but he was being a bit of a tool to people who were flat out blatantly racist to him. And it's kind of hard for me to blame him for how he treated them. The idea that Nathanos was grumpy at the Forest Riders. Yeah, you join a group and every single person in it, except one, treats you like you're inferior because of where you were born. Even though you're better than they are at the thing you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, no, they were jerks. They, there's, there's no other way to say this. There's no way to dress it up. Lorthamar and Halderon and all of them, up to and including Kael'thas, who tried to get him bounced out of the Farst Riders for being human. So I don't sympathize with him in the slightest. Uh, I I loathe Nathanos Maris, but the, your point is very valid. That's absolutely the case. It doesn't excuse anything he's done since, but it's absolutely true. So this is one of those things where I think Lothamar was right and wrong at the same time. So I think that one of the statements that he made is pretty much accurate, that who you are in life is seems to be amplified to some degree in unlife. And I think if we look at it through everything that happened with the uh, the Darkshore Warfront, with all of those uh, wardens that got raised and the, the night elves that got raised, their last moments were consumed by rage, pain, and doubt. When they're resurrected, that becomes the all-consuming aspect of their personality. We see this in uh, Shadows Rising. We see this in uh, ev- all of our interactions with them in-game. It's they remember the hatred. They remember the pain. Um, I think it was you that pointed out, and I can't remember her name now, um, where it's like almost like she needs to kill to feel okay. Oh, Sierra Moonwarden. Yeah, Moon, Sierra Moonwarden. It's actually very similar to the Death Knight thing. Yeah, very much so. And I find that fascinating because then it, it, this question made me start thinking about that in terms of Nathanos. And what Matt's saying, I think, is right. Nathanos was reacting to a life where he was, had these moments of happiness. Uh, this person who loved him and saw him for who he was amongst a society of people that hated him for his skill, his passion, uh, and for where he was born. And again, I'm not excusing anything he's done, but I could see where Nathanos in this moments, his last moments of life, if that is such a huge part of what he dealt with for so long, it becoming so amplified in his unlife. Because if you look at it, like in life, he had to be calm and cool and collected. He had to have that sunny disposition. He had to be. Well, you know, to be fair, he did not have a sunny disposition. I, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting like air quotes, like the the sunny disposition thing, where like yes, he was a jerk, but he was like he was smarmy jerk. He wasn't like you know the kid with the slick back hair and the switchblade it it was the i'm better than you and i know it he lorded that over them whenever he could to sort of drive the blade in and then you look yeah, at because and ultimately when they would go you know he was a better archer and yeah they could they could not they couldn't touch it. him and if you look at his personality after he's been resurrected after he returned to you know Sylvanas's side after he was given back his gift of of thought released from whatever the the being trapped in the Scourge body was, these are all things that were amplified. These are things that if you ask a player what they hate about Nathanos, one of the first things that comes up is how smarmy he is. But that's who he was in life because that's who he had to be. And I'm wondering if it's just another case of those last emotions, those things that were so core to his being are getting amplified, but Lothamar is projecting the bullying 
and braggart. Like the braggart part, I could kind of see because he was smarmy and would show that he was better than them at every every chance he got. But it was a reaction to you're not good enough to be here. You're just a human. You don't deserve to be here. You know, classic fantasy racism, right? So I'm wondering if maybe that plays into it in his own life where because his last years of life, that's what was so core, so ever present, even as he died. Like, is that why he hates the living so much? Is that why he hates in particular the elves so much? Because he hates the elves. Oh boy, he hates. Uh, is that why he's so smarmy? Like it's smarmy turned up to eleven. Uh, it's he's he's basically. Uh, why can't I think of his name? Uh, there was an old movie called PCU, uh, and one of the car uh, the comedians I can't remember his name. I can't help you with this. I've not seen this movie. Uh, but he was a real small guy. He, he did all the movies with like Chris Farley and that. Uh, David, Spade. D- David Spade. Um, David Spade plays the smarmiest character I have ever seen in my entire life, and the Thanos makes him look friendly. Uh, It's not a bad thing as far as characterization goes, but it is interesting to note that those are his traits that get turned up, that get amplified. And even Sylvanas, like in her undeath, in her unlife, or whatever you want to call it, her aspects of cold, calculating, being that general, she's she's trying to latch onto that. Even when she starts to feel emotions, she's she tries to tamper it down, but it's still that hatred, that that calculating nature is just turned up to like such a weird degree that it's almost like it's almost like when they're resurrected, when they're brought back into these bodies, they're not fully themselves anymore. They're a shade of their former selves, and it's whatever the last vestiges of their life were. That's what makes up the bulk of their personality. That's what's rebuilt into it. So who knows? But I, I would agree with Matt that I think it's it's I could understand in life why Nathanos was the way he was, but I don't apologize or make excuse for anything he did in his All right, anything else to add to that before we move on to our next one? Uh, no, I, just that it's kind of rich for anybody, if, for Lorthamar of anybody, to complain that somebody else isn't friendly and welcoming. Oh yeah, no, seriously. What was that? What was that that uh, happened with the Void Elves and and everything else? Yeah, I mean, I still I remember when you know before the Void Elves even uh, the High Elves tried to come back to look at the Sunwell, and you know, you if you brought in the Quelthalar uh, and you weren't Quelthalar uh, and you weren't a, a Blood Elf, then they basically tossed your ass to the curb super fast. So yeah, yep. Not not a not a welcoming bunch. Lorthamar and, and Halderon. Not for, not not the friendly of people. For for a group of people that complain about not being accepted, yeah, go figure. Uh, our next question. My question is: Why don't the orcs speak in their own language more often, or are we simply hearing English for the sake of the players, and they are actually speaking orcish all along? All I hear from them is Loktarogar. Uh, thanks for the insight, Sparta, a blood elf it, demon hunter. It's- probably fair to assume that they speak orc to each other a lot more um some people make the point that the common tongue of the horde is probably i mean what else would they be it's not like they're going to be speaking human or the various human which is our lord aronian i don't know but yeah it's probably fair to assume that if it's thrall and and uh i can't remember his name etrig thank you etrig yeah if it's thrall and etrig you know just just chatting they're probably talking it, it would be difficult if everybody had their native language filter on all the time because like if you're playing a Forsaken, you don't speak Orcish, which is weird. You think again, you think it would be the common tongue of the the Horde, but yeah, since your your Forsaken doesn't speak Orcish, you would have no idea half of the things Thrall was saying, and you'd have to have somebody there translating for you. It'd be weird, and I think that's generally it is. Yeah, and I would tend to agree, and it's it's also very really fascinating because I remember back during the early days of the game where players would flip over from common to whatever the player 
race language was when interacting in raids or trying to keep things private or, or whatever, uh, just because for whatever reason, and I don't, this is anecdotal, uh, but I know like my friends, like a bunch of us would play Torrent, like, and so we would have our own little language. Uh, and so during raids, if we wanted to like talk, but not talk with everybody else, we'd flip over from you know common to our racial language uh but i would imagine that most of what we see is basically game mechanics and that's why everything is filtered down into co- into whatever the common language of the horde is um but i do think that it would make sense as far as like society wise like if you're in thunder bluff you're probably not going to hear a whole lot of orcish uh if you are in the echo isles you're probably not going to hear a lot of you know uh you know, Torin language at all. Like it's it's probably one of those things where in private matters they would speak their own language. I just imagine a bunch of, like there being like a language club on the Echo Isles and a bunch of trolls learning Torin. And it's just it turns out it's really hard to pronounce Torin words with giant tusks coming out of your mouth. So what you're saying is one of the hidden Loa is Duolingo? I just yeah, basically. <laughs> but it's like it, it's like, you know, the Torin here I'm talking, it's like, my God, your accent was wrong with my accent. Like, what are you doing? It sounds like you're swallowing a watermelon over there. It's like, look, you talk, talk with these big things coming out of my mouth. Why do you think we talk like this? And just, you know, going from there. I hope I just wasn't really insensitive. If I was, I apologize. Uh, it occurred to me halfway through that that someone with a speech impediment might not think that was funny. And then I feel bad now. But and- nevertheless, I think that trolls speaking Torrent amuses me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It just happened. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna move past that. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it's safe to assume that your your uh, races of Azeroth speak their own language among their own people, probably pretty frequently. And as somebody who uh, is from a multicultural background, with growing up speaking multiple languages, I can tell you that it it's kind of called code switching, like it. But it's like, yeah, haven't you, you talked about that? Sometimes you'll be speaking, and yeah, you switch. You aren't really thinking about it. Yeah. So like, and it's very. And I would have, in my mind, and I don't know if this is accurate, and Blizzard can tell me I'm wrong, but it, I would think that it's almost like that. Because like when I was with my, you know, Puerto Rican family, slipping into Spanish was second nature. When I was with my Italian family, switching into Italian was, you know, second nature. Even though it's not my primary language, uh, it's just because you go into that mode and your brain just starts making the necessary connections to switch um and if you think about it your characters in azeroth are all multilingual uh for the most part with i think the exception of humans i think humans don't speak a second language which is weird um canonically but it's i would see that it's probably something similar for them where you know when dwarves are hanging out with dwarves they're probably speaking dwarvish without even thinking about it but when they start dealing with humans they start having to switch back into common uh even if it's not 100 percent common all of the time so you know i i think the races of azeroth code switch when necessary uh our next question uh quick and simple one we all know that sylvanas does not deserve a redemption arc and that she needs punishment personally i cannot see a better punishment for her than to serve as a valkyr ferrying souls for all eternity for all her struggles from freedom of servitude what could be more fitting and i can hear you people saying already that's a noble service of the carrying it shouldn't be punishment except to ascend they forget their past lives clearly sylvanas would be forced to retain uh azimuth uh night fallen elf of area 50 i don't like this oh the, the idea that you know if somebody has done horrible things because they were upset or afraid to be enslaved that the, the proper purpose is to make them a slave 
Yeah, this uh, is this is too much like punishing punishing a victim by making them a victim again. And it's not, you know, I, I don't have even the slightest bit of sympathy for Sylvanas Winron. It comes down to what are you, what are you doing? If you're the kind of person that does that, then you've confirmed every negative stereotype anyone ever had about you. It's not a question of sometimes you don't do an awful thing not for the person that you don't do the awful thing to, but for everybody else who's watching. You know, it, it's not a question of do they deserve it. It's a question of what do you deserve. Yeah, like there's I don't always... want to be. I'm not a slaver. I'm not going to make someone a slave. Yeah, the Kyrian. I have serious problems with the Kyrian. Like I'm not on board with their way of doing things. I feel like that. You know, I I don't. The, the whole thing about ferrying souls, that doesn't really bug me. But the thing where they strip you of your identity, that definitely does. That needs to go. Strip you of your strip you of your identity and knowledge in order to serve. Like yeah, it, that's not that I am not on board with the Kyrian approach. Even when it's when it's applied to anybody, much less Sylvanas. And I get you're saying that Sylvanas wouldn't be stripped of identity. I no. This 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 is bad. If it's a thing you want to be doing, if it's a good thing that people should do, putting someone in charge who's going to spend her entire time doing it, trying to come up with a way out of it, and who has proved she's very good at coming up with ways out of things, no. No, this is just, it's a terrible idea from stem to start. Yeah, it's its one of those things where, like, again, I, I just have this, this thing in my brain where I'm... <sighs> You don't do that to people. It, it, you, we're supposed to be heroes of this world, and it's not saying that we don't do questionable things. We do all the time. We we have a very short sighted view of how the world works, uh, as far as threats and long term effects. I, I will never ever say that we don't. Uh, but for us to put somebody in that type of position to punish them with the thing that broke them in the first place is not okay. It's not okay in any sense of the word. I don't care how horrible a person is. You don't, you don't do that. Um, and it's one of those things where like, even the worst of the worst of Azeroth, like we have a prison for demons. We literally have a prison in the middle of a mage city for demons. Uh, do you think we could have figured out something worse to do with them? Yeah. Should we have? Probably not. Well, it comes like one of the things this makes me think of, and it's not a perfect, perfect lineup. There's a, a writer named Terry Pratchett wrote the uh, Discworld books. One of the books he has is a character named Sam Vimes, who at one point finds himself in a bad situation, and he says, "If you're ever, if you're ever looking down the barrel, and you've someone's, you know, someone's got you dead to rights, pray that it's an evil person, because they, they, they're going to get off on it. They're going to want to gloat. They're going to want to keep you in their power. A good person is just going to kill you." Because they've decided you have to be killed, and they're going to do it and move on, and they're not going to spend a second gloating about it, and they're not going to think about it because they've already done all the agonizing. If they've mm-hmm. already got you like that, then that they've made the decision. That should be how we are with Sylvanas. You should make have already gone through whatever you need to go through thought-wise to get to the right situation, and you should just do it. And it shouldn't be let's let's we need a fitting punishment. No. The, the, the thing people keep going for, the idea of a punishment that fits what you did, punishment isn't about fitting what you did. It's either about justice for the people who suffered or it's about re- redemption and rehabilitation. And yep. And if we're not going to try to rehabilitate Sylvanas because she's too far gone, then this is only about justice for the victims. There's nothing about justice in doing what you're suggesting. It yeah. isn't like it, first off, it doesn't come close to the thousands upon thousands who have died at her hands. So when you can't redress the scales, 
it's best to just make an end of it. Just end it. So, yeah, no, I'm not down for, now you are a slave forever. Ha, ha, ha. See how you failed to get away. Like, what am I? Am I the Lich King now? I, I, the Lich King does that kind of things. Arthas does that kind of things. I'm not those guys. That's that's. I don't want to be involved. Yeah. No, same. Uh, and again, we can understand that people want that, regardless of how you feel about Sylvanas, you either feel very strongly connected to her or against her, and you want some form of retribution, those that are against her for what she's done and the tragedy she's, she's you know, perpetrated. I get that. But let, let us not become the same monster that she has been. That's like, I mean, I'm sitting here totally. I have nothing, no sympathy for Sylvanas. I don't like Sylvanas. I've never liked Sylvanas. I... I like Sylvanas as a character who does oh, yeah. really interesting things in a story. Uh, but she is the villain to me, and mm-hmm. she always has been. But that being said, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of times people don't – there's a lot of nuance to this that I don't think people get. That you can think a character is malevolent inside the story, like them inside the story, but also want them to get like a proper fate. I want closure to all of this. I want it to end and us to move past it. So, yeah, no, I'm not down for that. Yeah. So we're going to move on uh, to our next one. Uh, this is a bit of a long one. This one comes from Bradford. Uh, questions for Lorewatch. I've been hoarding these for a while, so feel free to pick and choose what to answer. And I apologize if these have been answered at a past time. Well, if they were, uh, we'll let you know. Uh, what was Illidan doing in the Outland that required us to go take him out? If the Light knew that he was destined to be a hero, why did Adal let us go try to kill him? Can we like, break these up and answer them separately? Yeah. Okay, because I want to answer this one really fast. I know. Adal was not talking to Zira. They'd been separated for untold thousands of years. Zira took like the Draenei that wanted to go fight an eternal war, and she went off to fight an eternal war, while Adal took this, the Draenei, like the civilians, the majority of their population, uh, and ran with them. So these the two were not in contact. That's that's take one. Take two, Zira didn't really know exactly what she was doing with Illidan. Like, she didn't know where he was, or, you know, it took her a while to find him. Oh, yeah. That's number two. Number three, Illidan was setting up a sacri- a mass sacrifice that was horrific. Yes, he was fighting the Legion, but his, his he was very much the kind of guy who thinks, all right, I need to win this war, so it's acceptable for me to kill thousands of people who are on my side, as long as millions of people will survive because of what I did. Illidan is an ends-justify-the-means kind of guy. And yeah. he, attacked, he attacked Shatrath. He sent forces to attack Adal and the and the, the the Naru that were there. So he started it. They were fighting back. As to what we were doing there, we went there because we knew that the Legion was going to come through that portal and attack our world. We were attempting a preemptive strike. Once we got there, Illidan and his Illidari were the ones attacking us. Just as much as the Legion. If you, When you go to Hellfire uh, Peninsula in Burning Crusade, there's Illidari taskmasters enslaving like the, the, the broken right there. Yep. Just as much as the actual Legion, the, the Illidari are there and they're not being friendly. They're attacking. So Illidan sort of set himself up as like, I, you know, I can't work with anybody. It's pretty clear that he was kind of spiraling. Like every run-in you see with him, sure he had a plan and sure he was executing it, but he was also being paranoid and delusional and he knew what Kael'thas was doing. And didn't do anything about it. There's, yeah. there's, Illidan was kind of, 
if you read the Elena novel, he was very monofocused and he was, was kind of off the rails. I was just going to say, like, if you really want a really good long form answer to your question, read the Illidan novel. Uh, it will give you a whole lot of insight into why we absolutely had to do what we had to do. Uh, it is a great source of information. Um, but yeah, everything that Matt said is, is accurate. I don't disagree with any of it. Uh, our, the next question from this, if our characters are the only things able to escape the Maw, how did the Helm of Domination and Frostmourne get out? If I recall from hearing somewhere, the Maw is where they were created. Someone, I'm assuming the Dreadlocks, I'm guessing he means Dreadlord, uh, had to get them. Um, so we don't know where they were created. We, th- we don't know specifically what forge they were created in. We knew that they were created in the same manner as the rune weaponry and soul bind items, uh, that we've seen in Maldraxxus, but also in Torghast where the rune carver is as far as uh, the, impl- the implication is that it's the forge of domination. That's atop Torghast, but we don't know for sure yet. Right now, as far as how they escaped the maw. Who knows? Um, we could possibly be the Dreadlords. The Dreadlords uh, may have had a hand in that, which is how they got to the Legion in the first place. Um, but we're going to find out more about that as the expansion rolls on. Uh, we do know that they are incredibly important pieces to the puzzle. Uh, as a matter of fact, as Matt has pointed out many times, you use the fragments of the Helm of Domination to dominate spirits in the Maw uh, and make them do what you need them to do. Uh, and there, there's a lot of stuff about specifically like runic weaponry uh, and items of that nature throughout all of Maldraxxus and throughout uh, Torghast and, and other places. So we'll find out more, but we don't know the specifics on how they escaped from Shadowlands in general. But the assumption is that the Dreadlords had something to do with it. Um, anything to add to that one? No, I think it's generally that we, you got it. All right, cool. Next one. Uh, relating to the Lich King and his sword, because of Bolvar, we know that the Lich King doesn't need Frostmourne to function. So why did the Legion put both the helm and the sword in the Frozen Throne? If I remember Warcraft 3 correctly, they only needed Lich, the Lich King to control the Scourge enough to summon Archimonde, but Frostmourne being thrust out is what results in the Lich King freeing himself, which I don't remember being part of the Legion's plan. Should I assume this was part of the Dreadlord's plan, being servants of the Jailer this whole time, or did they steal the helm and sword not knowing exactly how it worked when they... when as and thought both were needed. Um, we don't know the answer to this question is the, the, yeah. the, 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 you know, the most basic answer. It, I'm going to say, and, and then I think Joe has some other stuff to throw in that will be, that will help elucidate, but we don't actually know that the Lich King worked fine without Frostmourne. Uh, he had to spend like several years sitting up top there. And when Sylvanas came calling, he couldn't stop her. Mm-hmm. Now, if he'd had Frostmourne, would he have been able to stop her? I don't know the answer to that question. But I'll bet he would have had a better chance than just some old magic hammer that he had made for himself. Um, Arthas did some crazy stuff with that sword. You'll notice that Arthas raised Sindragosa with Frostmourne. And the runes on Frostmourne were what panicked... Um, he oh, raised... Heck. What was Uther's uh, Kyrian mentor? I can't remember her name. Devos? Um, I think that's the main one. I can't remember the name, but yeah, the men. Uh, when she Uther's saw mentor. the runes on Frostmourne, that's what freaked her out. Frostmourne is definitely important. Um, in terms of whether it was the Dreadlord's plan, it does seem... You'll notice the Dreadlords went through a great deal of trouble to get Arthas to pick up Frostmourne. And that was part of the whole plan from the beginning, was to get Arthas to pick up Frostmourne so that he'd become a, a servant of the Lich King and thus they could use him to accomplish their aims. So it definitely feels like Frostmourne was very much a part of the whole plan. Yeah, 
I, I think it's part and parcel to it. Uh, honestly, the other thing to, to really note is that, like Matt said, the sword was integral to a lot of things the Lich King did. Uh, every time he created a Valkyr, he used the sword. We, we witnessed it. We legitimately witnessed the birth of one of his Valkyr but at his hand in an instance. Um, he raised Cindergosa and the other Frostworms, raised Liches with it in order to continue the work, used it. The original in- Saffron yeah. was raised using Frostmourn because Arthas didn't have the Helm of Dominate. He did it. Yep. He wasn't the Lich King yet. So everything he did as Arthas... Not as the Lich King, but as Arthas the Death Knight, he did with Frostmourne. And part of the Ice Crown Citadel creation was done through Frostmourne as well. Not all of it, because it was reinforced and built up with with Serenite. But like when we start talking about where the Frozen Throne was located, how the mountain around it was shaped, all of that stuff, that was the Lich King acting through the power of Frostmourne. So it's important. We don't know the extent of it. We don't know what the plan was, but it is important, at least in some part, to the functionality of the Lich King. Not only that, but it's also one of those things where, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. There's a level of import for the time that Bolvar didn't have it and the fact that he wasn't as corrupted or taken uh, fully as he was. So there's something to consider there. Uh, anything else to add to that one? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I I think we could we could go back and forth on how involved Frostmourne was in the creation of Ice Crown because the original Ice Crown was created when they threw the 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 you know the actual Frozen Throne onto our world, and then they threw it into Ice Crown Glacier, and the the Ice Crown Citadel was originally just a big spire because when when he cracked open the Lich King's the the Frozen Throne with the sword. That's all he did with the sword. The rest was when he put the helmet on, and the big explosion happened, and it was Spire. And then, of course, they mired up. But but none of this is really that important for what we're discussing. Uh, Frostmourne is definitely a, an item of importance. But we don't know exactly. For that matter, we don't know... We know that when a rune weapon is reforged, it becomes more powerful. We know that Frostmourne was made into two weapons. And we don't know, after the events of Legion, what happened to them. Technically, I guess your, your Death Knight's got him in the bank. But, I mean... Your your shadow priest probably had Zalatath in the bank, and yet it was running around doing stuff. So who knows? Yeah, and then I think we have one last part of the questions from our our friend here. Uh, other than the tears of Alun, do we have anything else connecting Thanaru to Alun? Alun has been part of Azeroth for all of its known history, and if Alun created the Naru, seems like they would have shown up during the War of the Ancients when the Legion invaded, since Alun would know the importance of protecting Azeroth. But the Naru only appeared with the Draenei, even though they have existed out in the cosmos for. 25,000 years or so. My point is because something is named the whatever or, uh, of whoever doesn't mean that it, it is what it is. The tears may not be related to Elune. The eye of Sargeras wasn't really his eye, for example. Um, I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, the eye of Sargeras was named because it was used by the avatar of Sargeras. Um, it was a device that it used in its whatever it was doing in Northrend. So it wasn't, it might have been the eye of the avatar. But it, if you look at the avatar of Sargeras, when the, the fallen avatar, when we go fight it, it has both of its eyes. So it could have just been some kind of device. But I mean, for that matter, the jeweled scepter of Sargeras, which your warlock might have had, uh, it's you know, it's one of the three artifacts they get, the scepter of Sargeras. That was a scepter that belonged to Sargeras. It, it doesn't. In this case, it's not a good example. These are items that belong to Sargeras. So does that mean that the the tier of a loon had nothing to do with a loon? 
it seems unlikely because the high priestess of Elune didn't seem to have a problem with it. Like seemed to to view it as an artifact related to Elune. Yeah, and not- we know we know that Elune it doesn't just exist on Azeroth. Because we know in Shadowlands we will meet a Night Warrior, one of the first Night Warriors known, who served Elune on another world. So if the Naru were out there in the cosmos, yeah, it, it's unfortunate that this world that Elune has worshippers on is getting invaded, but worlds are getting invaded everywhere. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they might have been busy. It's, it's a big universe and there are not an infinite amount of Naru in it. Just because Elune is important to Azeroth... And finds Elun might very well think Azeroth is important. She's got worshippers there. Doesn't mean she can just ignore the whole universe because one world gets invaded by the Elune. We don't know how that works. We, there's a lot we don't know, so we're kind of blue sky here. But it's definitely not necessarily the case that just because, even if Elune did make the Naru, and I'm not saying that she did, but even if Elune did make the Naru, it doesn't mean the Naru just go wherever Elune tells him to. I've never seen a Naru mention. Uh, have you, Joe? No, I actually, I don't think I have either. Like, the Naru haven't really said anything to do with the Loon. Like, they've talked about the light. Um, and a lot of the stuff, we, we, we make that correlation where, where a lot of it is us making that correlation, right? We're the ones making that uh, connection between the two. Um, yeah, it was a weird book that Khadgar found that suggested there might be some sort of relationship. Uh, and that's why he said, you know, try the Tear of a Loon. Just because the Tear of a Loon worked doesn't mean it worked because there's a direct connection. It could have just been that a Loon is a powerful being with, you know, access to the Holy Light. And the Naru needed that kind of power to reactivate. We don't know. Yeah. So we again, and it's entirely possible that the Tears of Loon is not related to Loon. that we are making that correlation as players, that we're making that correlation as player characters. But we don't know yet. We, we're probably going to find out more of that, especially with uh, we know the involvement of Ysera in Shadowlands. There's always going to be this thing where we're going to find more, I don't want to say like linkage, we're going to find more presence, more, more linkage between, uh, you know, the light, a loon and what's going on with everything, because that's sort of part and parcel. We know that the light is important to what's happening in Bastion. It has something to do with what's going on in Revendreth. We know that uh, the presence of a loon is something that is felt there because the Night Warrior is in Ardenweld. Uh, Ysera is in Ardenweld. We're going to find out a whole lot more. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, the specifics about it. Is it possible that the tears of a loon is just something that has been credited to her? No, I, I don't, it, it is possible, but like Matt pointed out, I think the priestesses who are sort of on in tune with a loon would kind of get the resonance, right? Like that's one of the things that magic sort of has a feel to it in Azeroth. Uh, and you hear this in various books, the stories, interactions with NPCs, they can feel wrongness in magic. They can feel if it's arcane, they can feel sort of the shamanistic magic of it. They talk about how magic feels. Um, and so like, I would think that if it wasn't part of a loon, that I think that the, the priestesses of a loon would know, I think they'd have a leg up on that. So but I think that's it. Unless you have anything else to add? I mean, you know, let's be honest. We both almost always have more we could add, but I think it covers. You're basically, I just want to say, it's possible that that the I that the tears of a loon have nothing to do with the loon. It's possible they do. I don't know. I've always wanted to know why it's a bunch of stuff from a bunch of titans and then a loon. 
that's always been interesting to me, but I don't know. Yep. So I think that's going to do it, though, for us today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, and for you, the listener, Blizzard Watch... Uh, of Blizzard Watch, Audible is offering free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, you can actually use this as a wonderful opportunity to catch up on Illidan or Shadows Rising to learn more about some of the questions and answers that we provided earlier today. Um, you can download many of Blizzard's titles as well as thousands of other books uh, and titles at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Uh, and again, if you do have questions for us in the future, be sure to send them in to us. We do have the several Discord channels set aside specifically for this please be sure to send them in to us uh either the podcast patron and queue question uh or the regular question one or send them in via email at podcast at blizzardwatch.com uh thank you very very much and we'll see you next week Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.